I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-34. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23-34. We're going to have communion at the end of the service, and uh, I have a few words of instruction about that. It's a little bit an unusual way we're going to do it. We're using these uh, little all-in-one cups, and if you have experience with them, you'll be okay, but most of us, it's our first time. Now, on Communion Sunday is my favorite, one of my favorite times to preach because it's a time to remember Jesus. A lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. A lot of things in the Bible that I know that are true that really kind of scare me, especially when I think about the last day when all the people of the world are brought before God for final judgment. It scares me. It kind of frightens me. I think about the Lord coming. That kind of scares me too. What's it going to be like? I think about my own death. The Bible says the point of a man wants to die after this, the judgment. I think about my own death. My own death scares me. I don't know what it's like to die. If I died before and came back, <laughs> it wouldn't scare me. But I haven't done it. But when I read the scriptures and I read about Jesus, man, it makes me so happy. It thrills my heart with joy and love when I think about Christ because of what he did as the Son of God for a person like me. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, just before he went to the cross, when he had given thanks, he took bread, he, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily or irreverently, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I want to talk to you this morning about the cleansing blood of Jesus. Let's have a short prayer together. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, as the preacher this morning, that you would give me the Help of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Spirit's power would be evident, Lord, not in me, but in your message as we proclaim the truths of your precious Son. I pray for the men and women and boys and girls who are here. I pray, Father, that all of them would leave this place either saved and assured or saved for the first time. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. The Bible says here to remember Jesus because Jesus was a real person. 
Reach out and feel one of your hands. Feel it? Maybe if you're sitting close to somebody, reach out and feel the person next to you. Feel them? That's a real person. You're a real person. Jesus was a real person. A real man with eyes like we have, hair like we have, nose and, and, and shape. He was just like us. He was a human being. A real person. Just as real as you and them. He was born of a woman. He was nursed at the breast of his own mother. He ate food. He drank stuff. He ran. He played. He grew from boy to man. He worked. He got tired. He sweated. He laughed. He took a bath. Like you and me, because he was a real person. A real person. And before the world was created, Jesus existed as the eternal Logos, John says, as the Spirit, part of the Holy Trinity, sharing in the fellowship of the Godhead. He existed in that special fellowship that was enjoyed by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the three persons who share one divine essence. It's impossible for us to illustrate that without confessing an error. But Jesus... The Spirit and the Father are one, God. Three individual persons sharing one divine essence. It's interesting, the Bible says God is immutable, God doesn't change. But, something did happen. The Bible says that the Word, this is John chapter 1, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal God, Jesus, God the Son, was made flesh. He came down from heaven into the womb of a a virgin girl named Mary and took on flesh and was pressed into the world in the same way you and I are and lived like us. The eternal God-man becoming flesh. The eternal Word who was part of the great decree that produced the covenant of redemption. Jesus was a part of that. In His pre-incarnate existence. As we read the scriptures, we conclude from the whole of scriptural teaching that before the world was made, God decided to create a world and to put people in that world. And then God decided that the people in that world would fall into sin through the actions of their federal head, through through their one father, Adam, who's the father of us all, And that that fall into sin would destroy their souls. But the Lord, but God the Father, in order to show His own glory and His amazing grace, the Father Father chose out of the mass of people that would be created, of people He would take as His very own. And He decided that the person who would bring those sinners into fellowship with Him He decided that the only person who could reconcile fallen, sinful, rotten mankind to himself was his own son, Jesus. And so God sent his son into the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God the Father made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus 
is the only one who can reconcile you to God. And this man who came from heaven had to be sinless. I read Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. Wow. Jesus, a high priest who atones for our sins, who atones for our sins, and he never has to atone for any of his own sins because he has no sins, but he only takes your sins and forgives them. Jesus, a man, untainted by the corruption of sin. Sisters, do you know any good men? You know some good dudes. You know some solid guys. I mean, hopefully you're married to one, right? A good guy. Maybe your dad was a good dude, or your brother is, or your son is. You know some good guys, but even the best guy you know is tainted with sin. Tainted with sin. Now, brothers, you guys know any good women? I know one. (laughs) But you take the very best woman, and she's tainted by sin. The very best. She is a sinner. But Jesus Christ became a man who was untainted by sin. He did not have the corruption of original sin. This was a man who could come into the world and face all of the temptations possible, but never sin at all. Now, I want you to, don't miss this. Jesus never sinned in thought, in word, or deed, something you have yet to do and will never achieve. You may be able to keep yourself from doing things that are wrong, but you can't stop yourself from thinking things that are wrong. And it seems to be really difficult to stop yourself from saying things that are wrong. Because we all got Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) And if we wouldn't say it with our mouth, we'll say it with our thumbs. (laughs) This person, Jesus, was without sin completely. This is the person that the Father sent into the world at an appointed time to be born of a virgin, to avoid the corruption of original sin, to become the sin bearer, the Savior of sinners. This person was Jesus. This person was Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, in the midst of all his perfections, All his right behaviors, the Bible tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus was rejected by Jews and Gentiles alike. Not because he was so good. Because society likes good people. They like generous and helpful people. They rejected him because he said, I am the son of God. I am God come down. Jesus said, I am the Son of God, and only by believing in me can you become righteous enough to go to heaven and escape hell. And that's what made man mad. That's what made the Jews angry. That's what made the Gentiles angry, was Jesus was saying to them, you cannot get to heaven on your own merits. You cannot get to heaven by your own efforts. And that's true. You cannot get to heaven by your own efforts, by your own merits, because you can never be good enough. Have you ever tried to make up to somebody? You ever tried to make it up to somebody? I've been married to Valerie for about 37 years. I'm sorry, only 23. (laughs) So I got to make up for that later. (laughs) I've been married to her for 23 years. And in that 23 years, I have done things, said things that I shouldn't have done. And in some ways, I feel like some things I'm still trying to make up to her for. You You ever forget your wife's birthday? 
or Christmas. Try to make up for it. Try to make you shine. I'm going to do better next year. That's my, that's my method. It's just ignore it. <laughs> and then a year later, do, do, you know, try to make up for it and hope she realizes what I'm trying to do. Try to make up for something. My kids will do things sometimes. They do something wrong, and you can tell they're trying to make up for what they've done. They're trying to make amends. But you can't make amends with God. Because once you've sinned against them, it's down in the book, and it ain't coming out. It's there. It cannot be fixed. It's a permanent mark. I used to have a friend, and he got a felony for stealing a radio out of a car. It gives you some idea how long ago that was when people stole radios out of cars. He got a felony for it, and then uh, he wanted to join the Marine Corps, which I questioned his sanity when he said that, but he wanted to join the Marine Corps. And I said, his name was, uh, his name was Wade. Wade Bean was his name. I said, Wade, I, he said, but I said, he said, I can't join the Marine Corps because I got a felony. He said, but I'm going to go get that felony expunged. I got to go to court and they're going to take off my record. I said, how can they do that? He said, they just do it. You know, you go down there and go through this stuff. And he got it done and joined the Marine Corps. You can get stuff taken off your record. But you can't get stuff taken off God's record. God knows. God knows. Just like here this morning. God knows all your sins. Maybe. Maybe. I say maybe because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've believed the gospel, if you've confessed your sin before him and called upon Christ to be your Savior, to cleanse you from your sins, then God doesn't remember your sins anymore. They've been taken away. They've been justified. You've been declared innocent before him. This man, Jesus, came into the world and said, I am the one. Only through me can you get to heaven. And he lived on this earth for 33 years. This man, Jesus, was delivered after 33 years of impeccable living. He was delivered by the foreordination, by the prearrangement of God to be killed on Calvary as the once and for all time sin atoning sacrifice. The once and for all time sin atoning sacrifice. The sins that mankind had committed against God were real and actual violations of divine law. They were real sins, real crimes. And the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no absolution. There is no amnesty. There is no forgiveness for sin unless blood is shed. Sin must be atoned for by blood, not just bleeding with bleeding and dying. This is why Jesus comes to the cross. He's a bleeding person on the cross, but he didn't just bleed for our sins. He died for our sins on the cross. So when you read in Romans chapter 5 that God demonstrated or commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Jesus dying for our sins. In Romans chapter 3, it says that the blood of Christ was shed for sinners so that sinners could be made holy and acceptable to God. You say, well, okay. Why are we bringing this up? We know these things because 1 Corinthians 11 says we are going to eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus. You've got to remember. You know, we're going to have 4th of July Memorial Day, all these holidays are coming up. 
And you know what they show on, on television right before 4th of July and Memorial Day? A lot of war movies. A lot of stuff to get people to remembering the, the cost, the price that's been paid for freedom. When I was a kid, my dad always make us watch, we didn't make us, we always watched The Longest Day with John Wayne and all those guys about Normandy, the big invasion. To see the sacrifice. And what we need to remember as Christians today, as we eat and drink this memorial meal, this token meal, we need to remember Jesus. We need to remember him in a unique way by eating and drinking together something that's very special. You see, Jesus was a real person. And today, we're going to eat a real substance and drink a real liquid, real as intangible. See, as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight, and God has only given us two things that are tangible to really make a mark on us. Two tangible things that Christians go through to remember Christ. The first is baptism. Baptism, we're baptized into the death of Christ. And my friends, I'm not scared of water. Anybody here afraid of water? I'm not scared of water. So when I was baptized as a kid, I didn't think about the fact that I was being closed up in a coffin and held down until I said tithe. (laughs) That's not how it happens. My dad baptized me, put me under the water. And I wasn't scared because my brother had been practice baptizing me for years. Because that's what kids do. You know, if you grow up in a preacher's home, you practice baptize your siblings. I wouldn't be surprised if my kids hadn't done some practice baptizing (laughs) in their time. It just happened. I didn't think about the fact that I was being put to death. But my friends, I've baptized people who were scared to death of water. And they felt like they were going to die as I laid them back in the water and brought them up. Baptized into death. I remember getting baptized. It's a significant event in my mind. It left an impression on me. I can remember the little church, the church my dad pastored, we didn't have a baptistry. We had to borrow a baptistry at another church, a little general Baptist church. And we would would drive over there and use their baptistry. And they didn't turn on the, the, the water heater for us. So if it was wintertime, that water was cold. And me and a guy named Steve Riston, we both got baptized together. We both went down in the water. My dad stood there. Steve stood in the corner. My dad baptized me, and then he baptized Steve. Steve Riston. And I remember being in the water. My dad lifting his hand up to heaven and saying, In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, my brother, buried in the likeness of his death. That's the last thing I remember. Boof. And then as he's bringing me up, I'm sure he said, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, baptized into death. And as Christians, if you've been baptized, and if you got baptized, you know, if you're after you were 10 or 11 years old, you remember it. If you get baptized before you're 10 or 11, you're probably, your memory is not going to be too good of it unless something really crazy happened. That's why we try to baptize people older than younger, in my opinion. But that's tangible. The second tangible thing is the Lord's Supper. Now, baptism happen, happens only once. You get born again, you get saved, you become a Christian, you get baptized. That's a one-time deal. It's a one-time deal. Carolyn, was the water really cold when we baptized you? <laughs> yeah, Carolyn, it was wintertime. It was cold. We baptized Carolyn. And aren't you glad we had to do that every January? 
But communion, that takes place as often as we want to do it. Some Christian churches, some Baptist churches do it every single Sunday. Some do it one Sunday a month. Some do it whenever they get a notion. And that's kind of where we fall. But it's ongoing. And every time you take communion, it's about remembering Jesus. It's not about getting some grape juice, because we don't really drink grape juice very often, at least we don't. It's not about getting that weird tasting bread in your mouth either. It's about remembering Jesus, that a real person. When you put that bread in your mouth, you're saying, I am living because of Christ's body. He is the substance. He is the one who won my salvation. And then when you drink that cup, it's the blood. The blood that took away your sins. It's the blood covenant that Jesus Christ, in agreement with the Father, made a covenant to save all who believe that this blood was shed for them. And when you drink that, you're tasting on your tongue, just for that brief second, you're tasting a symbolic, tangible expression that Jesus' blood was shed for you. And it's ongoing. Why do we need to be reminded of that? Because life is so hard. Because we get so filled with so many things, so many issues, so many difficulties that we forget about Jesus. But this is a big reset button for us. We come back to remember a real person died for our sins. Real. We do this to remember Jesus. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that your sins could be forgiven. And we do this to remember that we can be and that we are reconciled to God by faith in the blood of Jesus. Now I want you to turn your Bible to Romans 3 for a second. Romans 3. Romans 3.20 There's always some people in the world who think they're going to get to heaven because of what they've been doing. And it ain't so. You'll go to hell because of what you've been doing, but you won't go to heaven because of what you've been doing. Listen to Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh, no person be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the law does is prove to us that we are sinners. Because if I, I'll show you how law works. If I said, don't anybody move, what's the first thing you want to do? Move. We're lawbreakers by nature. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all a righteousness that is unto all and upon all them that believe. And there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the payment for sin that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That word propitiation It means that 
Jesus became the object of God's wrath so that God's wrath would be satisfied. Satisfied. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission or the canceling out of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare at this time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he God of the Jews only? Is he also the Gentiles? Yes, also the Gentiles. That means anybody, any human being of any sort, size, or shape. It is one God who shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. You see, it's through the blood of Christ. It's through Christ's death that we can be saved. By putting your faith in Jesus, the human mind says, that does not make sense to me. It's too simple. And so the mind says, no, it can't, can't be just that. It has to be Faith plus works. Has to be faith plus church membership. Has to be faith plus baptism. Has to be faith plus taking the Lord's Supper. Has to be faith towards whatever. But my friends, that is not what the Bible says. Justified by believing in Jesus. By believing in Christ that His blood was shed for you. Not just believing He existed, but believing that this blood was shed for you. This little supper is symbolic. You see, we will take it with thoughtful understanding. We're going to eat and drink this food. And it's going to be an intentional act. And this morning when we give the Lord's Supper, it's going to take a lot of intentional acts. Because it's it's a little all-in-one. You have to tear off the top and tear off the second one layer, then a second layer. It's going to take a lot of intention. You're intentionally going to do it. You're going to intentionally remember Jesus because we want to do it. Because we believe that He is the one. You see, this is a picture in real life. When you see the Lord's Supper, it's a picture in real life that we have taken Jesus as our Savior, as our life-giving Savior. We need Jesus to live. And when you eat this bread and drink this blood, it's grape juice, what you're saying with your thoughts, with your words and your deeds, you're saying that Jesus is my Savior. You're saying His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And we honor Him with this eating and drinking. That's why when you take the Lord's table, it's not time for horsing around or playing. This is serious. If you ever go to Washington, D.C., to the, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and you watch them do the changing of the garden, and you act up, they yell at you. They'll kick you out of there. Because they're saying you're not going to dishonor what's happening here. And my friends, this, what you're going to do today, is more important than the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Remembering Christ is more important than that. It's very important. To remember Jesus. 
the God-man who came and died for your sins. But he didn't just, he didn't just die for your sins, though, did he? Romans 4, 25 and 26, he was raised again for our justification. He rose from the dead. That's a big paid in full stamp that sin was paid for. Now, I'm going to give you a warning, okay? Don't get it confused in your mind. If you eat and drink this, this doesn't save you. If, they're, they're right here in this little silver thing. Nothing in there is going to save you. Nothing in there is going to save you. None, none of those things will save you. Get in your mind. None of them. Nothing in that pool up there will save you either. Nothing. Jesus is the one who saves. You trust in him. You trust in him. We exercise our faith and put our trust in him. We call upon him to save. I wrote down here about 15 passages to turn to to read to you to prove that. But I'm just going to use one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The son came in this world by the will of the father so that the perishing could stop perishing and receive everlasting life. Only trusting in Jesus. So before we go further, let me say this to you. These are questions. You don't have to answer them out loud, but I want to ask you, will you trust him? Will you trust him now? You know, as Christians, sometimes we think about, I became a Christian way back, when, way back then. But let me ask you are, you, are you trusting in him now? Is he still the rest of your soul? Are you still resting in him Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus. Never really trusted in Jesus. Trust Him now. You may be thinking, well, if, if I do that now, everybody already thinks I'm a Christian. My grandma, my mom, my dad, my wife, my husband, people already think that I'm a Christian, so if I become a Christian, what's it going to do to my reputation? It ain't going to do anything to your reputation. <laughs> it ain't going to hurt your reputation at all. People are going to be finally glad that you got born again because they probably know you ain't born again. <laughs> I think it was my grandma who told me when I became a Christian, she said, I've been waiting on it. <laughs> you know the truth about yourself, though. You know if you're a Christian or not. You know if you've trusted in Jesus or not. And if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. That's the bottom line. You're going to go to hell. And you may think the COVID times have really been bad. But it ain't nothing compared to hell. You may go down to the nursing home and see some poor, twisted person whose body has been ravaged by age and sickness. And they're not in hell yet. Hell's bad, friends. Trust in Jesus. Jesus came to save you from it. 
Look to Him. Look to Him. I was listening to Tom T. Hall while I was mowing the yard this week, and he has this song about digging a grave. I think it's called about $40 or $20, something like that. And, and he says, he's mo, mo, he's, him and his friends, they dug the grave, and he thinks he should go over to the funeral service, but he's, he's nervous about going to the funeral service. But he says, because every time they talk about the fires of hell, I get spooked. So he says, I don't want to go over there and hear them. Well, it's, hell is just that kind of place. That's where you're going if you don't trust in Jesus. You put your trust in communion, you're going to go to hell. You put your trust in baptism, you're going to go to hell. You put your trust in good works, church membership, you're going to go to hell. You put your trust in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. So if I become a Christian, I think people might laugh at me. So what? So what? So what? Have you been to Walmart wearing your mask and seeing some dude not wearing a mask? And you, in your mind, you're like, I wonder what he thinks about me <laughs> in my mask. So what? People laugh at people all the time. Beloved friends, believe in Jesus. Believe the gospel promise. And any reason you want to give for not believing in Jesus is foolish. It's beyond foolish. It's stupid. You may be one of those persons, though, who you may be thinking, man, my sins, my sins are especially bad. I'm bad, but I'm bad in ways that other people aren't bad. Well, that's not true. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no categories here in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All people are unrighteous and come short. If, if there's a voice in your head saying, you know, you're too bad to be saved, that is the devil talking to you and not the Holy Spirit. John Bunyan, that great writer of Pilgrim's Progress, he heard voices telling him, curse Christ, damn Christ, reject Christ. He heard this voice in his mind, a voice saying, do not believe in Jesus. It's the voice of Satan. Satan is as real as God is, friends. Satan is as real as Jesus. He's a real person. And he's got a real voice. He's got real preachers, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Satan comes around, he whispers too. He says, don't trust in Jesus. Don't trust in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit says Jesus is the Savior. Trust in Him. No matter what your past might be, come to Jesus. Come to Christ. He'll have you. He'll take you. He'll cleanse you. God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will take your filthy, rotten, defiled soul and wash you clean and give you His own righteousness. Paul describes it in Romans 4 as putting on apparel, clothing us in robes of righteousness. Trust in Jesus. Come and be washed in the blood of Christ. Now let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that this simple message, this simple attempt to remind us about Jesus will leave a lasting impact on our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.